Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With us this week, we have Jera. Hello. And we have special guest Karen Chulpis. Hello. Chulpis. <laughs> I asked you how to say it, and I screwed it up anyway. No, no, no. You, no, you didn't. Believe me, you did not screw it up like it can be. <laughs> Okay, that's good to know that I rank low on the screw-up scale there. (laughs) So before we get to our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. First off, our show is supported entirely by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards, from thanks on social media to high-quality bespoke episode commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Just put out there that you're listening to us. That way we know that you know about us. And that may- makes such a difference. By the time this is airing, we'll be getting ready for Star Trek Las Vegas, so keep an eye on our social media. We'll be so busy, active, all up in that social media to make it feel like you are there with us. Because we wish you could be there with us. We have a book club book coming up, Dwellers in the Crucible by Margaret Wander Bonanno. And is there a time when we're, do we know exactly when we're well, recording? we don't yeah. know 100%, but it'll be around like September, October. So you still have some time to read it. It's your summer reading assignment from us, your buddies, the women at Warp. This book came very highly recommended by members of our Goodreads book club. So uh, if you want to read along and uh, join the discussion, go to Goodreads and uh, search Women at Warp in the groups, and that's how you can find us. Jerry, I gave it an awesome review already based on its cover alone, so I'm excited. We can only keep going in terms of excellence from here. Yeah, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but I think in this case, you definitely should. We're not going to judge so much as get excited by. Yeah, exactly. I'm yes. very excited. So. For our topic today, we have the mature women of Star Trek, women who, characters who are over a certain age, and how are they depicted throughout the franchise? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously it's hard to kind of draw a line because, I mean, Star Trek has its own aging system in terms of, like, apparently humans live longer, but in terms, uh, and then, like, our world has ages, but then in terms of the actual show, like, Karen and I were talking a bit, and it seems like... The cutoff sort of in Star Trek, which mirrors about Hollywood, is around like 42, mm-hmm. where you start to be like a mature woman of track or like somebody's mom, you know, somebody's grandma, the wife of an aging scientist. That one comes around a couple times, doesn't it? A, a, cr- a cranky admiral. Uh, <laughs> so um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of these characters, as well as just how Star Trek generally portrays aging and specifically for women. So I'm excited. I'm excited to have uh, Karen with us. Karen, do you want to tell folks a little bit more about yourself and how you first got interested in Star Trek? Well, it's just kind of been in my life, my whole life. I was born in 1963. So that's probably, you know, pretty young when it was first airing, but I am certainly watched it because I have a quite older brother. He's like six, seven years older than me. And then for sure, when the first syndication came around, it was just, you know, when it was on, I was watching and I was playing Star Trek in the backyard and I was just totally involved in the whole idea of Star Trek. And as soon as like uh, 
oh, they used to have little anthologies uh, with short stories of the original series episodes, you know, and I had that because, of course, we didn't, we couldn't rewatch them. If they weren't on, they weren't on. So that was, you know, it's just always been a part of my whole growing up formation. I mean, it was so bad that what I didn't know that you plucked your eyebrows to thin them out. And in like fourth grade, I was trying to shave them and I like missed. Oh, and it was no. Yeah. And my mom goes, oh, no. oh, honey, were you trying to look like Mr. Spock? I was so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that That's gives awesome. you total OG fan credibility, though. <laughs> well, that yes. is, it kind of showed I didn't even realize she knew how much I was into Star Trek. But she when she said that, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so she was paying attention yes. all along. Yes, she was. <laughs> Love it. So that is kind of just, you know, it's just a part of my whole makeup. And I do really like all of the series. So I mean, I'm I'm it's not that I'm easy, but I just, you know, find something in every single one of them to enjoy. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So we have a you know, we've cut, sort of brainstormed a list of possible characters we could talk about, but I was just thinking because before the show, you were saying you sort of identified some of the archetypes that we tend to see in mature or older women in Trek. And I thought maybe we could sort of group them together like that and then just see who the outliers are. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, it's kind of the groups that you find in theater and television. It's not just Trek. Uh, Trek adds the, the category of Frankie Admiral. But that probably <laughs> falls under the Herodin role, you know, the the witchy, complaining older woman. The crone. The crone figure. Yeah, I think there's like Herodin and then there's the wise grandmother and then there's the cougar. Nice. The cougar is a recent addition, though. <gasps> Within the past 30 years or so, Not you'd say, right? really. No, I mean, you got to really? think of Mrs. Robinson. I mean, oh, yeah. okay. it's been yeah. around a long time. And the saloon gal taking the young guy coming into town. You know, it's no, it's, it's. A- oh, like, would we count like Fiesel Flocks? Yes, as a cougar, somewhat. Although at least we totally could. At least with Fiesel, it seemed like that was just a Denobulan trait, possibly. Yeah, but like certainly the way Trip sees her, Denobulan cougars. My God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Trip certainly reacts like, "Oh my yes. gosh!" Yeah, I mean, she's an attractive woman, but she's older and she's married and she's hitting on me, and I'm Mrs. Fox. Young. You're trying to seduce me. <laughs> What other cougars do we have in Star Trek? Should we uh, should we give a hard and fast definition of the term uh, cougar just before we proceed? Just in the incredibly rare off chance that any listeners don't know this term, also known as a mountain lion. <laughs> <laughs> it's an older woman who is like trying to pick up younger men. Yeah, and generally, like I think in the stereotype, like dresses like or behaves in a way that is not considered age appropriate so it's obviously like all of these archetypes are are kind of gendered and imply like ways that women should behave based on age 
or based on gender. And in this case, it's like, oh, act your age, lady. Mm-hmm. Like, you shouldn't be so openly sexual. Go dress in a sack and... Yeah. Go hide in your corner. <laughs> Go back to your hobbit hole, old woman. <laughs> like, Deanna in Man of the People is like a cougar gone bad, you know? Oh, <laughs> This is a good example. <laughs> yeah. This is the one, uh, if anyone doesn't remember, uh, where uh, she's being, like, overtaken by negative energy from this negotiator guy, and she starts, like, rapidly aging and becoming more overtly sexual at the same time, and this is, like, the most terrifying thing that could happen to a woman. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to stop being sexual when I stop finding you attractive. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's, like, definitely portrayed with, like, scare music and stuff, and (laughs) it is kind of, I mean, I love the, like, vampy outfit with the, like, the skunk swirl in the hair. I'm pretty sure that outfit gets reused as one of the Dabo girl outfits later on in Space Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's go over some more cougar characters. Well, Waxana definitely has that vibe, particularly just, you know, at when it's useful for the writers when it's funny when it's funny <laughs> yeah she's a sexual mm-hmm. being yes yeah she definitely I mean, she has she's more uh, she's not as reducible uh, to that trait as some of the other characters or to like any type of archetype because she shows up so often but she you can see those moments like she's definitely you know sort of like uh, embarrassing Deanna by flirting with Picard, by flirting with Riker, by flirting with everybody <laughs> by flirting with Ferengi she you know, occasionally drops her clothes. (laughs) Shows up naked to her own wedding, yada yada. I think in her case, like, it is, it's kind of cool and empowering because she has those other elements. So it's not so much just like, oh, look at her being embarrassing, but it's like, damn, she's still got it. And she's, (laughs) you know, she's going out there and going after what she wants, which is Loxana. Well, and you get that impression, at least from Deanna, that that's older Betazoids, too. But mm-hmm. I always think of that scene in the elevator with Odo, which I particularly like, mm-hmm. where she tells him, you know, she takes her wig off and, and he says, you know, she goes, nobody's ever seen me like this before. And he says, why? It's fine. And she says, it's ordinary. And I have never cared to be ordinary. And that is kind of a base for Luxana's character, I think. She just doesn't mm-hmm. care to be ordinary, no matter which of those buckets she's falling into. <laughs> Funny to mention buckets when you're talking about Odo. Yes. <laughs> Would you think of Mirror Giorgio as sometimes falling into this yeah, category? Definitely. There's that vibe in a couple of scenes. They definitely portray her that way. And she, you know, Michelle Yeoh eats that character up and that aspect of the character more power to her on it she you know. i know oh, man I, I would she just is very she's also self-assured i mean she, yes it's all about which is the sexiest thing of yeah, all yeah i mean that's just totally her the reason she can do it that's one of the things i absolutely have appreciated about our mature women that we've gotten discovery we've got them being uh, characters with active sexual lives that aren't uh-huh. treated as being outliers and i think that's really cool and a uh, mm-hmm. good signifier of while we haven't gone all the way to the mountaintop in terms of portrayals of women especially older women step in the right direction there well and i love that it, jane brooks character admiral cornwall is not the cranky crazy bitchy admiral 
you know, no, she's a woman in her prime. She's, you know, she's just, you know, again, competent, confident. She has just a real assertive personality that is like somebody you would meet. You know, I always wonder, I always think how these older women should be is just like you could replace her with any age. Mm-hmm. You know, if you write the character to be the character, it would kind of be that you could put anybody in a 30 year range in there. And I, I think they did real well, especially with now that we're coming into discovery. Of course, sadly we've lost her, but <laughs> mm-hmm. so now we have Giorgio, but maybe we'll pick up another mature woman. I mean, Cornwell's, she's also a counselor and she's very perceptive. Um, so she's like, she's very tough, but she also is very in touch with emotions, um, which is very cool to see. Yeah. I really, I mean, it was thrilled me to see these women in their late fifties in these strong, very important roles in a Star Trek show, not just a guest star, a one-off guest star. Mm-hmm. Especially ones that fall into buckets. Yeah. I mean, they don't last. I mean, usually there's something, you know, that happens I, I, I did think of now these are not characters that you would they were a one-time thing but they were a feature of the episode and it kind of shows mm-hmm. that still in the 90s you still had this image of older women but the con woman in rivals on ds9 you had two older women in that show that were feature characters and one was the con woman who was playing the lonely but at a loss woman, semi cougary. Mm-hmm. And then you had the shopkeeper who was the lonely and sad shopkeeper. And, you know, older women are supposed to be lonely. They're just mm-hmm. lonely people. They're supposed to be widows and that should be their defining characteristic. Yes, they're, <laughs> very Victorian in terms of sensibility. Because if they're not widows, then they're, you know, the, they're still portrayed almost as a, a 50s housewife who has a scientific degree. (laughs) Also, if you're not acting like a widow, you're essentially a cougar. Yeah, right. Well, and if it's, if they're not widows, then we, we often see them at least like being very connected to or motivated by almost, or like solely motivated by a male relative or Mm -hmm, loved one. Like last night I rewatched Silicon Avatar, which is the one with Kylo Mar, where she uh, kills the crystalline entity because it killed her son. Like you do. Like you do. Yeah. I mean, she starts off, I mean, to the credit of this episode, and as well as another one that we have on our list, which is um, Admiral Seti, like both those actresses do such an amazing job with those roles. And they're obviously meatier than a lot of roles for women of their age on TV at the time. Uh, but like, yeah, like Kyla Mar is very motivated. It's all like, I did it for you, Rennie. <laughs> I did it for you. And then like, I'm devastated when I learned from data that like, maybe that wasn't a good idea. And same with Satie. I mean, I think that so the actress who plays Admiral Satie and Patrick Stewart obviously do such an incredible job. And that episode is so well written. But like, I guess the the niggling thing is that so much of it is about how much she respects her father and almost every conversation she has about her personal life is about her father. Mm -hmm. And then when her father is brought up, it like emotionally devastates her. And um, it's really, really powerful. It just when you start to like take a step back and look at this kind of pattern, there's a lot of instances even when the characters are not like there to be the mom of a main character where they're still 
being motivated by their relationship with usually a man. Now, do we think that's a reflection of, how am I trying to say this, of some cultures idea that an older woman, once you've aged out of a certain age, like say, once you've reached that widow's age, you are kind of the responsibility slash property of another man in your life. And that's your defining characteristic. Do we think that ties into this? I don't even know if it's property as much as there's a little bit of hubris that women, especially women who have had children and who've been married, whoever, those people become their life, that they aren't a separate Mm -hmm. individual. And so the hubris of the era in particular, I think tends to make them a male figure. I mean, it could have been a daughter. There was no reason that they couldn't have had Rennie be a, a girl. You know, and it still would have fit that whole character that once a woman is married and has children, that's what she is. She doesn't have any other life. I think that is kind of a pattern of, it doesn't have to be the ownership thing. It just, it's that, it's like once you have kids and have a family and have a husband, nobody just wants to talk to you about your interests. (laughs) I mean, that is the first thing people ask you when you go anywhere like are you married do you have children and then the silence when you aren't married and don't have children like me (laughs) have you ever seen a 20 something guy go back to visit his mom and then instantly start being like mom make me something to eat and then do the whole oh no she loves this she loves doing the mom thing for me and you're like (laughs) bitch what (laughs) yeah um i I mean If you don't have kids or a husband, you better hope you have a Scottish ghost candle. Because that's all that you've got. (laughs) (laughs) Those are your defining characteristics. Oh, man. So what's one of these other buckets we were talking about of of women figures that these characters fall into? Well, grandmotherly wisdom kind of fits. Again, Luoxana has Mm -hmm. all of those moments of wisdom, which are great. But like, for instance, Mm -hmm. you have a whole episode with her having her best stuff with Alexander because she's an older Mm -hmm. woman and must dispense her wisdom to a little child. (laughs) She's got to do that maim shtick. Yeah, she can't just have that conversation with, say, another woman in her in her life. You know, we see the same thing with Guinan a lot, don't we? Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, Guinan's just a wisdom machine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She is the Zoltar, the magician of the Enterprise. Just buy a drink and she'll dispense some wisdom. <laughs> and I think Amanda's a little bit that way. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I would. Definitely in the in the movies where especially I'm I mean, sorry, the original movies where Jane Wyatt is like finding out how Spock's doing after having his catcher restored to him and that kind of thing. Her literal role in the movie is just going, Hey, how you doing, buddy? How you doing? You ready to set the tone for your character arc in the movie? But even in Journey Journey to Babel, she's sort of decoding Spock and Sarek for everyone else. Although that's not necessarily like grandmotherly, but certainly this kind of this kind of thing that like, oh, the men are hopeless with this kind of thing and they need the women to fill in the gaps and tell us how the feelings work. Well and in and in uh Voyage Home, you know, she's the one to put in the question, how do you feel? Yes. How do you Mm -hmm. feel? You know, like this is important for you that she's dispensing this whole person recovery aspect. And at no point does he say, mom, I'm a grown ass man. (laughs) 
tiny segue here while we talk about Amanda, because I think it's worth noting when we're talking about, like, at what age do, does Hollywood start to, like, put you in these buckets? Oh, yeah, let's go here, definitely. Let, let's talk about Star Trek 2009 and when they cast Winona Ryder as uh, Amanda, who was six years older than Zachary Quinto. And, I mean, the the argument, I think, was sort of like, well, you know, but in the flashbacks, Zachary Quinto is like a little kid. The flashbacks and... that were cut from the movie. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, but it just, it, there's like awesome articles you can find that compare the ages of mothers and children in in Hollywood films, as well as romantic couples, and how, like, it's acceptable for men like George Clooney and Tom Hanks to get older and older, but their love interests stay the same <laughs> age or even get younger in some cases. And once Maggie Gyllenhaal turned 38, she was too old to be the love interest for a 50-something guy. Yeah. There's another movie. It's a Melissa McCarthy movie and it has Melissa McCarthy and Allison Janney. Tammy. So Allison Janney plays the mom and then Susan Sarandon plays the grandma and the kind of hilarious part of this whole thing is that Allison Jenny is 11 years older than Melissa McCarthy, and Susan Sarandon, if she was really Melissa McCarthy's grandma, would have been a grandma at age 24. So, yikes. Yeah. So it's just a thing that, like, <laughs> Hollywood, it, like, can't understand how women age. Can't or won't. A little bit of both. <laughs> so um, that I think that the Winona Ryder example is one of the times we see that most clearly in Star Trek. But uh, certainly, if you go and look back at like the the primarily like love interest characters in most of the original series and uh, TNG, they are by and large very young. Looking at the range of Picard's love interests, and that come becomes very clear also. Yeah, they're all in their 40s. So at least they got him to their 40s. Yeah, but then you also get like a whole bunch of these like crotchety old dude scientists with younger <laughs> wives. <laughs> that is just constant, man. How do these guys just keep scoring hot wives? Because that seems a little wishful filly. Yeah, like uh, there's the woman in the horrible episode, A Matter of Perspective, Oof. with her older husband, and there's um, of course, we'll always have Paris. So, yeah, that's just that's just a general comment on Hollywood and Star Trek and aging. Well, they're just like they're the rock stars of the future because you know how people are always <laughs> wondering about how these rock stars get these model girlfriends or wives. But then, like, why don't why don't like Toby Russell and from uh, Ethics and Kyle Lamar have like super hot young guy? Well, yeah, I'm why not? Say guy because we didn't have gay characters in Trek by that point. Why did they not have, like, an entourage? Why do not the older women scientist characters have hot boyfriends? Because they just work too hard. They dedicate their life. If they're not, they just dedicate their life. Because <laughs> if you're a working woman at that age, you're a crone. That's right. You just don't have time for men. Crone. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that a good segue into the Harridan type? I'd say that's definitely a segue. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Because also when I think of Harridan, I think like about someone who nags. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that um, is in the meaning of the word there, but like, I, I think that even though 
I have a, a lot of love for some of these characters. I think that you can like definitely put like Nicheyev at times uh, in that group. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, she's like the person who comes on the ship and like harshes on everyone's butts. Yeah, she's the straight up <laughs> military admiral. I mean, she just has no civilian side to her, and it and it definitely falls into that. It's just another side of that bucket. You know, mm-hmm. that you can't be a compassionate person and be an admiral and be a woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Jellico comes off with a few moments of compassion at times, but not Necheyev, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Admiral Satie as well. Definitely. There's this sort of like, you know, very like upright, like looking down your nose at other people, lecturing or thinking you know better than other people or bossing them around and... None of these things are necessarily, like, terrible, but it's this idea that, like, a woman should have warmth. I feel like Pulaski gets lumped into that, too. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, she's always cutting people off. She's a pushy older woman, which you're not supposed to be. Right. And Picard has that line. (laughs) He's like, oh, please let me finish my sentence once in a while, you know? And it's... No! (laughs) It's like, well... worked to her detriment because her character actually was very compassionate yeah but she had all of that worked in there too for whatever reason they were doing that you know Mm. we've definitely covered this before yeah there's a lot to be said about pulaski both being done a disservice to and just not getting a fair shake as a character Mm-hmm. Well, I think, like, one thing that you can say that's positive about a lot of these characters is that they're almost uniformly competent. Like, a lot of the old mm-hmm. dude scientists we talked about are, like, corrupt or insane. And we don't often see that. I think I think we tend to see more, like, hubris with some of these more, like, Harridan women characters, like Toby Russell or uh, Admiral Satie. But they're definitely, like, knowledgeable. Until they kind of cross that line, they're, like, they command your respect. They have a lot of qualifications. It's just kind of this unfortunate dynamic that gets set up, especially in TNG, where they're, like, the ones confronting our heroes, who are often, like, as Picard, it's like a guy, (laughs) And uh, so it just ends up sort of like reinforcing the stereotype or the stereotypes that are there, but still like they, they have a lot of power, which is kind of cool. Yeah. If they just didn't go crazy, you know, <laughs> that's the other thing. It's like, you have these characters that are strong and competent and then they're always in the end, you know, just have the crazy eyes with the, you know, camera zooming in. Like Sati was so wonderful, mm-hmm. but man, she just super mm-hmm. lost it. And yeah, even Kyla Mar even more. You know, yeah. Even Data's mom got a little bit. Ugh, you know. Can't trust these old broads. <laughs> <laughs> They've gotten better. They've you know they have improved yeah. over the. You have, you know, mm-hmm. I would say they are improving at all times. Yes, you know, and at least we're just not completely afraid and leaving them out like in the original series. Right. Totally. Well, let's maybe talk about some of the ones, like, later than TNG. You mentioned uh, the characters from Rivals. Um, I know we have, like, Endgame Admiral Janeway on the list. Yeah. Bit of a unique case. I, you know, and she, that, that is one character that, and probably because she was established, that they kept her her. Mm-hmm. And they also didn't make her look like she was on the cusp of dying with her older yeah. age makeup. 
she just looked like a mm-hmm. state. Definitely appreciated. Yeah, you know, stately, gracefully aging person. And so that was a, I thought they did a really good job with her. Yeah. I was having trouble thinking of a lot of other ones in Voyager, I guess, because they're stuck in the middle of the Delta Quadrant. So they don't like have their parents come visit a lot. Although we have, we've done an episode on Klingon women. And certainly I could think of several examples that were like Balana's mom, Sorella, Grilka. Uh, maybe not. Gr- well, yeah, I think Grilka qualifies. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well. But Balana's mom is there yeah. in like, Klingon. She's not a loving mother. Visions. Yeah. No, I mean, she's interesting. Yeah. It's like this, it's kind of, you know, it's a powerful story about the need to reconcile with one's mom who you feel has really let you down. And she ends up kind of having to forgive her mom for what, she, how she feels she was wronged. But she also realizes like that you know, she needs to put herself in her mom's shoes and understand. Yeah. I, I think they do good with See, come along, Voyager and Enterprise, the mothers have improved mm-hmm. because we have Teles, who's, you know, I think a good mom, but she is also competent and has her own life. Teles is actually really cool. I like how she, you know, she's, she starts out and you are not inclined to like her <laughs> because she's like putting, she's... Her her plans and what she wants go against what we want for T'Pol and maybe what, what some people want for Trip. But I I like how she's revealed to be much more than just like someone who's trying to control her daughter, that she clearly loves her and she's trying to make change in a very restrictive society. She's a character who has her own jazz going on outside of her kid. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Another one we see is uh, Rihanna Mary- Mayweather, who is interesting because it you know, she's got this whole life on their on their ship. Um, I think it's just a little bit unfortunate that her sons really kind of take control. And it's not kind of portrayed that she could just step up and be the captain that her deceased husband was. But she she definitely is like capable. She's very like, practical. She loves her family. Also, other than her, and a few other like relatives of main characters of color. Not a lot of people on this list are are women of color. No. Like we've got Giorgio and Guinan. And other than that, I couldn't really think of anyone who wasn't like Jordy's mom, Travis's mom. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> so that's another thing too, is like, can we not figure out how to talk about older women of color? I mean, even the fact that Guinan is like falls into this uh, sort of like the wise grandmother or wise uh, sort of mystical uh, figure goes hand in hand with uh, sort of like earthy wise stereotypes about black women about like the magical mystical black woman. She definitely falls into the magical black person trope. Yeah. Yeah. So need more diversity. But I think Giorgio is like a massive step in a good direction on both age, gender and race fronts. And she's just, like, so cool and hard to kind of pigeonhole into different categories. She does bad things, but you still want to see more of her. Yes. What's she going to do next? We don't know. She's a wild card. <laughs> and, of course, T'Pol had her hero, Blar, who's the ambassador, yes. who, you know, and this is kind of ex- outside of universe, but that uh, Theonula Flanagan played her mm-hmm. and she also played Juliana Data's mom. 
and mm-hmm. she played uh, Anina Tandro in Dax. In fact, oh yeah. yeah. So it's like there are she's almost Jeffrey Combs. There are, there are not enough <laughs> older women in Hollywood to fill these roles. That's why we don't write them. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> another one who's in Enterprise, but was originally in the original series, is Tapau. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she is so cool. I mean, in the original series, she makes such an impression mm-hmm. as this like wise matriarch. And then in Enterprise, it's like her young revolutionary side. Yeah. So it's pretty awesome. That's a nice history, I think. You can. Where's her spinoff? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I watch it. I mean, obviously, in Enterprise, like, the actress playing her is not, like, reading as someone who is, like, middle-aged. Like, she's reading as a very young woman. But I think it's cool to give backstory to this, like, just powerful moment we have in the original series. You just can kind of, I can see her getting to the 70-year-old stately Cecilia uh, Lovsky Mm -hmm. character. Because she was very immersed in the history of Sarak. And that worked really, I thought that was cool too. Do we have any other like examples that we want to shout out at the moment? Or should we talk about some of the sort of like, when Star Trek uses combined science fiction and aging <laughs> as an interesting device? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very terrifying prospect. Which it is. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, yay, I'm in my 50s and everything's going peachy because it's not. But Aging isn't for suckers. But it's just not like the horrendous, especially in the original series. It is yeah. just let's, crazy. Let's talk the, the deadly years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, when you were saying, Karen, about how like Admiral Janeway, she looks older, but she's like acting the same. In the deadly years, this really struck me as like the people start acting like they think old people act. Right. Even though they've aged in like a day. <laughs> I'm 60 years old now. I need to stand in line for 20 minutes to buy a piece of fruit with a coupon and then return it. <laughs> now, I will say, I've been rewatching that. I guess Dr. McCoy does say depending on your metabolism, this seemed to be a feature of the condition too. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. condition I mean, of being over 40. Well, I'm telling you, I filled out a survey for the office for health stuff. And they, you know, I had the condition of menopause and I'm like, I got oh. mad. I wrote them and I said, menopause is a stage of life. It is not a condition. And they wrote back to me like, Oh, we understand this. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. It's still, I'm, I have a condition. So, and then you, of course, wrote back and told them to eat your farts, <laughs> as one does. Yeah, but yeah, they they really overdo it, and I don't know if that. But you know, it carries into Bashir being old on DS Nine and that one kind of crazy, weird. It's like he is a hundred and forty years old. Guys, there are, there are points of age where you're all over a certain age, but you are not the crypt keeper. <laughs> I- Exactly. Kim Kim also has a moment where he sees himself as an old man in the thaw. But what's kind of struck me watching The Deadly Years, um, because this is one where a whole bunch of people rapidly age, but not everyone, like not Kirk's 
bizarrely, uh, like his uh, former girlfriend who shows up to like try to persuade him to be into her again. Why does that keep happening to him? <laughs> and then there's that strange little scene where he kind of accuses her of wanting to get back with him because he's older now. How old? Yeah, is that was really funny. Um, but what was interesting is there's this like lieutenant who was on the away mission, and she's the I think the only person we see die from the yep. away mission, other than the scientists they bring back with them. And for her and the woman scientist, there is like mention of their looks like she sees herself in a mirror and gets really upset that they put a mirror there in sickbay and with the woman scientist her husband keeps going like elaine was so beautiful (laughs) her best years are behind her now (laughs) yeah and elaine's like thanks jerk thank you for all of your support sweetheart i appreciate it so much (laughs) (laughs) In this time of hardship. But no one is like, other than mentioning that Bones has gray in his hair, there's never a mention of their looks. Because he's a guy, and it's very different for them. The men fear losing their intellect, and the women fear losing their beauty. Exactly. Like, the men are, like, forgetting their orders, and, uh, you know, McCoy talks about we're all going to be mental vegetables. McCoy suddenly develops a very heavy southern drawl. He becomes even older and more southern. And... Like, similarly, Uhura in And the Children Will Lead, or Shall Lead, she's, like, shown her darkest fear, and it's basically her looking super old in a mirror, and she, like, gets terrified and starts crying. Well, and that's what they offer her in I Mud, is a... Oh, right, yeah. I never get to continually be beautiful. Yeah. I mean, of course, and she turns it down. Yes. Because she's awesome, but then it's, like, I mean, And the Children Shall Lead is just a horrible episode anyway, but then it's, like... Let's give her a little more credit that maybe... Maybe that's not the thing that's her most important and defining quality. Yeah. Maybe she should just be like, yeah, so this is a fear and that's fine, but it's not happening right now. And, you know, people live through this. (laughs) Like, this is just something that happens. They're finally over the... As we come into more modern era, it's just a more realistic presentation of women in their 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, what really struck me rewatching the deadly years is when they have the computer tell Kirk how old he is. And by this point, he his memory is like totally shot. <laughs> and it says something like he's between 65 and 70. I know. He is freaking Methuselah over here. <laughs> yeah. And um, my dad was a, a planner and a gerontologist. And one of his biggest pet peeves was how on surveys, you always see surveys asking about your age demographics, and it's like 25 yes. to 34, 35 to 44, 45 to 54, 54 to 65, and then it's like 65 plus, or 55 plus, or 60 yeah, plus. Yeah, it's, it's 55 plus now, I'm telling you. I'm in that yeah. last chunk of group, and I'm like, hey, wait a second. Which is ridiculous, especially considering how much longer the average life expectancy keeps becoming. It's like, that's that could be your midpoint. You could still have half your life ahead of you. Yeah, and what it does is show that like basically our policies and society and, and programs are designed for people that are at the middle of this like curve that these surveys try to represent and that everyone who is above that age is conflated even though there's enormous differences between someone who is 50 or 55 and someone who's 95 or 100. And you know, you can't always draw clear lines there, but it prevents us from actually 
seeing what's happening with populations who are like in that 55 plus category because there's no further breaking down. Well, that would be hard. That would require (laughs) extra work on their part. It's like we just don't care. I'm just, if I can bring it back to the difference between uh, how aging is perceived differently between men and women, I keep thinking back to this one Dion Cole stand-up bit all about how you never see women with gray hair reading the news. You see guys with gray hair reading the news all the time, because if it's a guy, then they're older and wiser and trustworthy and they have experience. Whereas if you see that with a woman, she's letting herself go or becoming feeble. And I think about that mm-hmm. a lot now when it comes to older women in the media. What's strange about that, too, it, it, I mean, it's pervasive when you grew up. I mean, you have this fear. And I let my hair go naturally gray a couple years ago. And I was tired of dyeing my hair every three to four weeks. It's like, you just couldn't keep up. And I'm like, this is crazy. And honestly, I've gotten more comments on my hair from younger people ever since I let my hair go natural than when I was any time the previous rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And so it is, I think it's kind of put on to us as a image or a belief because I don't think it completely translates in real life that way so much. Yeah. No, it's perpetuated through the media, I think. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it obviously serves a lot of interests if women are insecure at every age. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's like whole industries that benefit off people feeling like you need to preserve your youthful appearances. A lot of those companies are owned by men, just for the record. <laughs> or just women who don't care. <laughs> Either way. I, I think that Unnatural Selection, which is the TNG episode where Pulaski rapidly ages, is moderately better. Actually, it's significantly better. I rewatched yeah. this and I was like, I don't know that you can say anything about gender and aging from this one. They don't, to the same extent, sort of start to like act like caricatures of old people. So that was nice. And you have b- both her and the scientist on the space station that are women that are rapidly aging. And I guess the only critique is that she's not actually the one that solves the problem. Like Picard's the one that solves the problem. But I, well, (laughs) okay, a couple critiques. So that's a critique about the like age related part of it. But (laughs) the other really funny part about this episode is that like, it starts off with Picard talking to Troy and being like, what's the deal with Dr. Pulaski? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) can you please say that again in a Jerry Seinfeld voice? (laughs) I mean, what's the deal with Dr. Pulaski? What's the deal with Dr. Pulaski? <laughs> it was a really strange little scene. Yeah. I mean, have you ever thought about when Dr. Pulaski, <laughs> but, and Troy goes like, oh, basically she just, she's just very caring and dedicated. And Picard goes, maybe too caring and dedicated. For a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> and we got to like the opening credits. I rewatched this last night. And I said to my friend, I'm like, did I miss something? Did she do something? And it was like, no, that was just a random interaction. <laughs> And and it's like he's kind of set, like he, even like six or seven episodes into that season, is still like, I don't know that I like this lady. Maybe I can get other people to like justify that I don't like her. She's old and mysterious and I don't care for <laughs> it at all. 
And I think, like, she behaves in a way that's really awesome in this episode and is supposed to be very admirable that she is very much putting other people first. She is not, you know, going behind Picard's back or anything. She's trying to do what he says, but she just, you know, doesn't want to let all these people die. And then she just accepts the fact that this is leading to her own mortality and it's very powerful Mm -hmm. and she won't let the other people put themselves in danger. Especially when you think of the analogy of uh, people in the medical fields putting a lot of themselves into it and having to take a lot of emotional brunt from their work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's definitely like I would say it's heroic for her, but what I think is hilarious is that so, like, this is happening and, and Picard contacts her old commanding officer. Why did, why did she leave? And the guy goes, oh, I see you haven't run into her stubborn streak. Well, it turns out she's a really big fan of yours. And so she always really wanted to be on the Enterprise and she wouldn't let it go until she got that job. And, like, that's what changes Picard's mind is knowing oh. that, like, she's a really big fan. <laughs> and not only that, as he sits there and he goes, huh <laughs> that explains <laughs> everything. everything it's like i was really insecure about this before but now i know that she secretly admires me i can afford to be like generous of my opinion <laughs> i mean how many of us have dusted off that old chestnut of obnoxious guy and it's like i'm only obnoxious to you in terms of your obnoxiousness because i secretly admire you and respect you so much and that's why I keep stealing the paper out of your copier, because I respect you. Really. So we didn't talk about that episode in our Pulaski episode, which is why I spent a little bit more time on it. But what we did talk about, and is obviously still important to mention, is that they mentioned that Pulaski slept with Riker's dad. Never which forget. Which we must never forget. Yeah. Never forget. And that is awesome, because that is another example of an older woman with a sexuality. And not only that, she just puts Riker in his place. He's like, I would have had him in a New York minute. About, <laughs> yeah. you know? she, she just like tamped him down. It's like, yeah, not only am I a sexual being, your daddy. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which isn't as much of a fight, but yeah, you know, there's a little of that after a certain era. Anyhow. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely uh, going against the grain for depictions of older women. And so was Loxana. Do we, um, I'm thinking, trying to think through like other alien races. Do we miss any? I mean, one I noticed in original series, we've done like multiple episodes that talk about the Romulan commander from the Enterprise incident, but I did notice that that actress was 40, which was, is not at all old, but was definitely above average for a love interest mm-hmm. in Big TOS. Time. Or any. I mean, honestly, I can't think of. Very many roles, period, in TOS that had women above the age of, say, 30 tops. Yeah. You know, really. Mm -hmm. And I think, Jari, you wrote that Green Girl article you wrote. You know, I think it's true, especially in that era. It's like there was nothing for women between college and grandmother. Yeah. You know, and I think absolutely that Mm -hmm. came from that whole fear thing of aging. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's nice to see that at least love interests moved into the 40s once you got at least once in a while, once you got to TNG and beyond, mm-hmm. that they could be. So, Oh, yeah. Like you had mentioned a Philippa Louvois. Oh, Ooh. gosh. I love her so much. Ooh. And she's just fantastic character. 
and she's so self-confident and assured and competent and curious about the world and open-minded and yet playful. And, you know, I mean, I just have always loved that when she looks at Picard, she goes, oh, I ain't love grand. The way she says it is just so <laughs> killer perfect, mm-hmm. you know, and she's 42, you know. And mm-hmm. so it's like that was a huge improvement. That was pretty good even for the 80s actually. Oh, definitely. And then uh, also Erica Hernandez in Enterprise, the Columbia's captain, that was Archer's kind of lovish interest. I mean, she's 40-some too. And uh, that was... uh, She's a great character too. Mm -hmm. It's too bad that we couldn't get more of her. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Because she was a good character. I love her so much. So much. Yeah. Yeah. And also, again, another woman of color. So that, you know, we hit a couple of them. Another one is the Romulan commander in face of the enemy, Ooh, yes. um, Carolyn Seymour, who she's the same age as the actress who played Philippa Lubois. So that season was a couple seasons later. So she would have been like mid 40s. But she's awesome. And I guess like the other Romulan commander, I'm not talking about the other one she played, but the one in Enterprise Incident. That in this case, when you're talking about mature woman, it goes beyond just like her age to very much like it's a commanding presence. Yes. Right. Could have been played by any age. Yes. Yeah. And there was a, there were two very strong in command women who weren't Nacheyev, bitter, militaristic heritons. Yes. You know, they were not. They were just simply themselves. Although, do you know who I who I just remembered we haven't talked about though? Who? Uh, Kai Wen. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Both of the Kais that we see offer us a very interesting take on what older lady characters can be, don't they? Like Kaiopaka definitely falls into like the wise grandmother. Yeah, absolutely. Trope. Kai Wen is. Mm, I don't know. What do you think, Karen? Oh man, I think she's her own. But she's the evil. I mean, she was. But she starts out just showing up there to nag and make trouble in her first yeah, appearance. Yeah. And then the character kind of snowballs from there. Yeah. But she never fills out into much of a three dimensional character, like, say, I mean, they did a better job with uh, Delta Cot having yeah. facets mm-hmm. of his personality, even though he's an evil son of a gun. Kai Wen was just, you know, she was just there to hate. I think I think she has moments of complexity, but it's almost uniformly around the same types of conflicts about like what would God really want? And so sometimes, you know, she has moments where she's forced to go to Cisco for advice and reluctantly take it. And she's not actually trying to engineer anything dastardly, and I think those episodes in between the other ones make her an interesting character. But definitely, if you had to put her closer to one of those archetypes, it would definitely be more of like the Harridan or, yeah. I don't know, I guess like just like a villainous woman. She's definitely like an ambitious woman. She's a woman of hubris. And ambitious women are scary already, as we know from all of pop culture. Yeah. She, why didn't she just step aside and let the lovely, handsome, young Vedic Burial take the job? Why? Well, that's so selfish of her, really. Well, they did keep killing those guys off, though. So. That's fair, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was the defense against the dark arts position of Bejor. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's she's dogmatic, but she's also been through an incredible amount. And uh, there are some moments in the show where they talk about it, and as well in some of the novels where, you know, she's saying, like, what 
you know, what she can't stand is being judged for this is how she thinks Bejar should go when she also lived through the occupation. And even though she wasn't fighting the resistance, she was defending a faith that was illegal, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she's a she's an interesting character. Yeah. Uh, female changeling, too, potentially. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Very, age is very hard to tell, um, other than we know what the how old the actress was. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I have anything really interesting to say about her in this topic. No, <laughs> I don't. I mean, she just is, was never given... That's just, she's a plot device, really, so mm-hmm. pretty hard to talk about her. She's our fearless MacGuffin leader. Yeah. So looking back over these characters we've discussed, is there anything that we would really like to see done more of or done better with uh, older women characters in the future of Star Trek and just in the future of media in general? I just hope they move forward as they have been of making them more real people, you know? And I think yeah. if they just make them right for the character and not for the age... It'll be fine. Yeah, I think it's cool also to have valuing of traits, like, you know, wisdom and not seeing that as like, you know, instead of seeing it as like, when you get older, you're not thinking clearly, realizing beyond like a trope of wise grandmotherliness, but just that like, hey, you were there, let me listen to what you've been through. Yeah. And talk to people. Yeah. I'm just going to fall back on more more active sex lives for older characters, because if you only see the portrayals in media of them being young and good-looking people who have romantic right. and sexual lives, that that's pretty messed up, considering we've got a huge chunk of the population that is over, let's say, 35. Right. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, not everyone needs to have an active sex life or or a partner or children, but we need a diversity. And the fact is, like, by and large, the representations have been no sex life at all. So, Or no romantic or love lives, also, by extension. Yeah, or it's just kind of like, you know, a sweet kind of dating thing. But it's usually more about the man, and usually the woman is still younger. Yeah. With the exception of Anish in <laughs> Star Trek. Uh, right. insurrection who's 300 <laughs> also a wise grandmother figure yeah but a sexy wise grandmother figure yeah i don't know i don't see a card like ripping her clothes off i just see them like <laughs> staring at flowers and holding hands a lot yeah they have that what that the seven types of love they're yeah. like in the six range or something <laughs> Again, we're not allowed to see any kind of sexual relationships between characters that we as the audience don't find sexy. I've got opinions here, okay? Well, and I mean, we know that in Star Trek, the audience has traditionally been viewed and explicitly in many cases as um, adolescent boys. Yeah. So it's like who we think adolescent boys find sexy. And yet, when I wear my disco shirt out into public, every time, the one like that's like the one they wear on the show that says disco... I get a shout out from some woman or another from ages 18 to 60. Mm -hmm. Know your audience, Star Trek. Yeah. So it's like, that is very clearly a huge population that they are catching on to, that they understand are a pretty big part of the backbone. So, yeah, I'm really curious to see what 
we see in Picard because all the other yeah. members that have been yeah. announced are, are like pretty young with the exception of um, Michelle Hurd, who is, is still much younger than Patrick Stewart. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where they go there. I'm probably down with it, whatever, but um, yeah, it would be good to just good to see more, more things like challenging those archetypes we talked about, or just that you know, characters that can't be boxed into one or the other and just more often more diverse more people of color, more people uh, who aren't straight. Georgia's not, so that's cool. More people with different body types than, you know, yep. the yeah. standard we get on TV, please. Yep. Yeah. So I think they're going that direction. They're doing a better job. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's wind down on this topic. Are there any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners on this topic? Oh, I think we did a good job covering it. All right. You know, it's just, it's still kind of, amazing out of 700 plus episodes we still have maybe 30 characters most are one-shot characters that are above the age of 35 mm-hmm. you know so yeah there's plenty of room for improvement <laughs> because the because the vast majority of the population of course is aging so that's yeah. gotta go somewhere. And the more we can like talk to each other and see each other as people and not stereotypes, then the better. Yeah. Right. Like I said, they just need to write for the character and hire the best people to play them. Yep. You know, what makes the most logical sense of of characters interacting. So I think that's I mean, there's just more than one type of diversity that we need to see a better inclusion of. Right. And ageism in the media is very, very real. Yeah. I mean, it's, you just can see it in movies and television. And I, I really hope that continues to improve. That about wraps us up for this episode. I think Karen, or is there, are there any projects or anywhere people can find your work online if they want to hear more from you? Oh, I'm just a loud mouth online. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. <laughs> I on Twitter I'm at K A R I N C H U, Karen Chu. And uh on Instagram I post a lot of Star Trek stuff. Uh I am at the Wavy Nation underscore. Nice. And Jara, where can people find you online? You can find me at Jarrah Penguin on Twitter. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin or at TrekkieFeminist.com. And again, I'm Grace and you can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank or looking into the mirror, bemoaning the best years being behind me already. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you'd like to contact our show, you can contact crew at womenatwarp.com or you can find us at Women at Warp on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. For more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. It was fun.